Alright guys, welcome to another episode of In Those We Trust. It's been a while. I have not been able to do an in-person podcast and I had to look back. It's probably been almost a year now since I've been able to do an in-person uh, podcast. But uh, I have the privilege and opportunity uh, to talk to Mr. Gary Nelson. Thank you for opening up your space and allowing us to come through and, and hopefully getting a lot of knowledge uh, from you on this episode. Um, so... This came about um, during this year, I would say, I had the privilege of, of getting into therapy, and it was the best decision. I always knew I wanted to get into therapy. They know how to go about it, the avenues to research. Like I knew I wanted a black therapist in person. I didn't want nothing virtual because that was the biggest thing during, during COVID was a lot of virtual recordings, virtual in person, um, a virtual session. I knew I didn't want that. Like I knew I couldn't get nothing from it, um, but I was blessed to, to, to be able to really start my journey with you. Um, but before we really get into to all of that, I wanted to say, like, what made you really want to become a therapist or a counseling? Or do you call yourself a th- your therapist, right? Yeah, I'm a therapist. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. we'll get you into it. Um, I, you know, I kind of started off, I, I originally thought that I was going to be in a corporate setting. Like, I, I, you know, I got my bachelor's in business. I was fully expecting to go into corporate life and, you know, get a, get a nice little cushy job and kind of do my thing. Um, but I started noticing in corporate America, I really hated it. Like it was just, (laughs) it was so impersonal. Yeah. So I took like some in-between jobs while I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And one of the in-between jobs was working at a college run, um, a program called educational talent search, which helps kids find their way in the college and find what they want to do. So I found out as I was working with these high school kids, they would come to my office and sit down and talk to me about some of the deepest things they were going on, like mm. they were going through in life. And it was breaking my heart hearing all of their stories and feeling powerless to know like what I wanted to do to like how I could help them or anything mm-hmm. that I could do. And I noticed during that time, like they kept coming and talking to me because of my ability to listen and yeah. kind of reflect what I heard. So that clued me into the fact that therapy and counseling, that was really what I was kind of gifted to do. So that started me on my journey to uh, learning about counseling and the purpose of therapy and really digging into it. And then, you know, ultimately going to school and becoming mm-hmm. a therapist. Yeah, yeah. So when, so if I'm going out there right now and I'm looking to find a therapist, what are like the qualities I should look for in, in my therapist that, their like their belief system like their 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 like how they want to evaluate you as a person as well as how can they help you like what are the qualities I should be looking for and find the right therapist for me it's because a lot a lot of times the stigma is like I find a guy he's not for me I never go back again mm. like so they like they stop just searching for that person so what should I look for you should definitely look for the different um, modalities that people approach therapy from so some therapists are what's called talk therapists and they specialize in being able to sit down with you and talk through your problems with you and kind of process and help you like learn to reflect on things you have other therapists that are like very much theory based so they take uh, a certain type of theory like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and they are beholden to that model so no matter what you're going through they put it under those lens and it feels more a bit more robotic and like you know you 
you're telling them what they're going through, but they're telling you, okay, this is the steps that you need to do to get through it. It's it's a little bit more impersonal. Everybody, every therapist has different, um, you know, the yeah. different styles that they yeah. that they pull from. I think the most important thing that you should always be searching for is the relationship that they have with you. Yeah. So in terms of qualifications, that's going to vary between a lot of them. But when you sit down and talk to that person. Do they get you? Mm. Do you feel like they are just taking notes on a piece of paper and like, you know, don't really understand what you're going through? Or can they hear you and adequately reflect back to you what you are saying to them? That 90 percent of therapy is relationship. Yeah. So do you feel like you're the because I would just say for myself that you're definitely not the person in which something that I love is like and I'll talk about it like when when I, when I talk to people about therapy, they're like. I love that we get into debates. I love that we get into like a back and forth of like you may have an opinion, then I have an opinion. We're like, okay, let's find that middle ground of like where we sit at, and like if I, I can disagree with you, and I love being able to go that 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 back and forth discord. But I do feel like there's a lot of times in which I have heard people go to therapy and where they're just like, I just talk, and like I, it, some like that. Some people do like just to be able to just word vomit, get everything out, have someone just to be there to just listen to them. Um, but I need that back and forth. Like I need someone to be like to challenge me and my my beliefs, my thoughts, and stuff like that. So. I believe that's that's the way you are. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a there's a ton of people like I I have different you know clients that I work with that are more. I need to vent and get everything out <laughs> okay, of my okay. system, and that that might take up a majority of the session. And you know my role during that time is to listen and find all of the the points that kind of intersect. So when they are done speaking, then I can say this is what I'm hearing this, this, and this from you. It all mm-hmm. sounds like it's coming from here. So it's, you just have to put on a different set of ears and eyes yeah. as a therapist, when you learn the different personalities of the people that, you know, come into your office. Yeah. Oh, I just don't, the, we'll, we'll get into that, into that later. So like when, when you're getting that back and forth, um, what do you find to be like right now in today's time, like your specialty in which you like had just, has it just become your focus because that these are the mental health concerns people are bringing towards you, or this is what you went into it with. Like, I want to focus on this type of mental health and helping this population of people. Yeah. I, I didn't have a, a type of mental health that I wanted to dig into. Um, you have some therapists that are, that's, um, they go into it and they want to deal with people with addictions. Yeah. Um, you got some that want to deal with trauma and abuse. Me, I was kind of more of a general sense. Like I've found myself gravitating to people with normal everyday problems and life problems that they were having trouble getting through, which was causing like depression and it was causing them anxiety and things mm-hmm. like that. So it was much more of a general, uh, a general sense of therapy rather than, you know, a specific framework for dealing with like somebody that's dealing with addictions or something like that. That's mm. not really, that's not really for me. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm really there for everyday people every day. with everyday issues. Okay. All right. So I, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I see that. So, but that brings you a wide range then. Like you're just like everything that they must well say, like you're, you're, you're hitting it all. Uh, what is your approach to treatment? So for someone to, to be going through therapy, a lot of, I look at it as if it's like something with the gym, like, in the gym, a trainer will tell you, like, it's 80% of your diet at home. And I feel like that's a big part of when it comes to therapy. People will put it on their therapist and really do no at-home work. So when it comes to your process of treatment, like, what do you look at, like, in order to really help this this patient? So the first thing is getting to the core of, for me, when they first come into my office, is definitely 
talk it's it's really like a circular form of talking like asking different questions about what they are experiencing and my ability to get to the source or the heart of what the issue is once i find that source then uh, when i present that back to them like hey this is what it sounds like is going on then my approach becomes what are the different areas in your life that is contributing to this problem? So it's, yeah. it's thinking in terms of bio, psycho, social, spiritual. Yeah. So then it comes into like your health, the things that you're, you're eating that's contributing to the problem. How you th- a big one is how you think about the problem, like how you conceptualize the problem. Uh, the, the people in your life that are either contributing to or, or helping with the problem and then even the spiritual side, like what is your belief system that is causing you to stay in, in this kind of space that you're in or something that helps in that? Examining all of those, the process of therapy is examining all of those different areas, reframing the things that are out of place and incorrect and strengthening the areas that are correct and that help you and mm. making all of those things work together to get you on the right path so it's like a holistic approach oh, yeah you're hitting you're hitting all, all avenues now uh, your your patient decides he doesn't know no at homework they don't do any of that homework and you know that as at a point do you get frustrated you're like no i'll take your money but as well as do you have that frustration of like i want to see you grow i want to see you work i just don't want to see you come in here and for that day that in which you come in here you feel the best self and then the next day you revert right back to your changes like how do you deal with with that like that type of patient so I'm I'm half and half on on homework actually because not a lot of people like to do homework. There, mm. You do get some some clients that like they they really thrive off being given things to reflect on, activities to do. Oh, yeah, that's home. me for sure. Yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> but but others they they're kind of content with coming in and talking about it. And for those people, the biggest impact is it sounds bad saying this is like kind of destroying them in therapy. Like it, it, therapy becomes a big emotional just mess for them inside of their sessions because you dig right into the deepest parts of what they're going through. And in those sessions, you reframe those things. So it causes them to have these very emotional experiences while they're in therapy. And then that whole week when they go home, they're, unconsciously processing everything that they you know that they just went through and talked about and learned and then the next week when they come in maybe they have a question about what it was or something that hit them in their life during that throughout that week week, for those people the biggest change tends to happen months or a year down the line and they have this light bulb going off moment where it was like everything comes to, together for them. Mm-hmm. Those are those types of people. You yeah. have people that have that the steady growth through activities and homework, and then you have the people that have the sudden impactful growth. Really? Wow. Wow, I never thought of it like that. I never thought of it like someone just like, you just have an awakening moment, and, and you're like, you know what? Life changes from this point on because it. for some reason it's like, when you talk to like your parents, your parents can say the same things, but if a friend says something to me, then it, it finally clicks in, in your head. Yeah, yeah, it hits. Wow. So then, uh, what when 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 we look around, um, like all different, you know, genders, um, age, ethnicities, um, what groups do you find to be the most in trouble of mental health concerns? Black people. 
Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and the reason that I say that is because black people, black and brown people, because mm-hmm. that, that includes Hispanic, um, therapy is stigmatized. Mental health is stigmatized. So anything that that we look at and we we have bad thought processes or anything like that, we automatically put that under the framework of I'm crazy. I'm going crazy. If I talk to somebody that that confirms that I'm crazy. Yeah. So then that means people like they don't seek help for those specific things and they go towards coping mechanisms, uh, smoking weed, mm-hmm. drinking, doing everything they can to get their mind off of whatever they're going through mm-hmm. rather than attacking what they're going mm-hmm. through. And that's what I feel like a lot of um, I feel like black and brown people in, in particular are really struggling and I'm seeing an uptick in personality disorders as a result of that. So you're hearing a lot about bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. You're hearing a lot about borderline personality disorders. You're hearing a lot about narcissistic personality disorders. Oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. These things, these different things are come are stemming from those different areas. The ability to be going through something and not have somebody to talk it through with being raised in dysfunctional families, Mm -hmm. like all of these things mixed together to severely impact how we approach life. Mm-hmm. You bring it up a lot of times of people around you having like personality disorders um, as well. Like how can you self-identify that? Or like what does it look like as an outsider looking in? Like you see a person, you're like, they definitely are dealing with a personality disorder. Like how can you just, how can you, not not that like you're the person to diagnose it, but to kind of pick up on those things. Yeah, most people don't don't self diagnose themselves or or re- most people self-diagnose themselves as bipolar because it's been it's oh. just a widely thrown yeah, around term yeah, so yeah. anytime you feel like you're angry one minute and then happy the next you're, you're calling yourself bipolar which okay. is not you know necessarily yeah. what that is but it, it's one of those things where you really do need to you need to get diagnosed with it you need somebody to talk to a therapist to walk you yeah. through that because personality disorders are unique in that mental illness is one thing like depression and anxiety like you get depressed you know when you're depressed Mm -hmm. because you know the feeling of being depressed Mm -hmm. you know the feeling of being anxious yeah personality disorder is who you are Mm. and so that is a hard thing to who reflects on themselves and say this is who i am this is the way that i think this is the way that i approach life not a lot of people do that yeah but when you have people the people outside of your life and they start to notice the patterns in your life like yo you you're always a really cold person why are you always so arrogant why do you why are you jealous of uh, you know other people all the time like when you start picking up on these different patterns and you talk to somebody about it then it starts to come to light well oh okay i'm my whole life is structured this way because i'm a narcissist yeah or, you know, because I have borderline personality. So I'll have mm-hmm. these, you know, time periods when I'm just, you know, off the rails, upset, like very emotional, not able to kind of like control my emotions. And then, yeah. then you know, then the next period I'm fine. Like those are the type they have to be diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And that takes a, a lot for a person to, to actually adhere to those things and be like, let me let me discover like am I Cause a lot for a lot of people. You just look at them like, oh, they're a bad person. Like they could be a great person deep down, but they just they're dealing with so much internally that just being able to talk to someone. I think what's what's dope is um, I had Mister Mister Nelson come in and speak to uh, the men on campus, the men and women on, on campus that we run um, at the college, a barbershop talk, and we opened it up to a men and women's debate, and we had you come in, and 
it's funny the week the, a couple months prior we had a session right by me and, and, and marcus called uh the mental health of the man and in that discussion it's mind you there's a lot of minority males in that in that in that, in that room and for them when I asked them, like, would you go to therapy? Would you go to talk to someone? They were just like, no. Like, I would go talk to my boy or I would just deal with that internally. No one, out of all the students who were there, they all said, like, they just either internalize it or they maybe talk to a friend about it. But I told them, I was like, your friend is maybe getting their information from bad sources of, i.e., like, Instagrams, all social media realms, and they're feeding this bad information. Does it actually work? Even though you have someone just to speak to, like you need to go to a trained professional. I was like, if you want to go for sports and you need to get training in sports, would you just go off of the crackhead lives down the street from you and get information from them and work out from them? Or would you go to the source of like this guy or a woman is certified to help you mentally? But I think that stigma, I think the stigma of, of going to therapy has definitely lessened. Like, I think there's so many more people that are now willing to go to therapy. They, they see it as not such a, a bad Thing to do in our in our community but it's still there like even like the what scared me is like the younger generation i was like i thought you guys would be like oh no i love going i want to go but i feel like now the generation's older than us like my, my older brother in like his third late 30s is like they're the ones now they're like oh no now i know it's acceptable i'm going to go we still have a generation who's like i'm still not going and i thought that would, i thought i would never see the day that, that that would happen yeah the younger generations are becoming more and more cold so yeah. they're become they are giving into what they're feeling. They mm-hmm. they are they're lacking a lot of empathy. Like this this is kind of their way of dealing with life. It's not to let me address my problems. It is let me turn off the feeling of those problems. Yeah. Let me turn off my ability to care about those types of problems. So that's what we're noticing. That's why a lot of them I feel like don't come to therapy now or don't want to go because it's like oh well kind of yeah but yeah that's rough i wish i just wish that we could like do something more for people to like get in the space that's why i love bringing you on campus because i was like people i was like yeah i go to therapy like i had no problem talking about it open but i was like the person i go to therapy with isn't that who you're thinking in your head like i would love for you to go see this person and and i kind of grasp at it and there's students still to this day that still hit me up like yo like can you put me on to your therapy? I'm like, yeah, here's his website. Reach out to him. Like he'll he'll be open to talk to you. So that's there. Um, in your sessions, what are a lot of the 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 issues that that you are seeing amongst like the totality of, of your patients? Is it a lot of relationship issues? Is it their own stuff? Like what are, what are you finding that that has been the the common theme throughout them all? Relationships. Okay. Relationships with parents. Mm-hmm. Relationships with friends. And relationships with spouses and and you know girlfriend boyfriend type of things like that that is so major i've seen so many relationships that somebody comes like somebody comes in and they diagnose themselves as being depressed after i talk to them for a while i'm learning that well you're depressed because of the relationship that you're in how you're functioning inside of this relationship is causing you to do things that you normally wouldn't want to do yeah and as a result that eats away at you Mm -hmm. after time and now you find yourself this depressed mess and don't even remember when you started feeling depressed Mm -hmm. and that's when it becomes scary because now you're no longer relating being depressed to my relationship Mm -hmm. now it's just i'm depressed and i don't know why i don't know why yeah so i have a a hard like um I think that that term is these terms today have it's been great that these terms have been so normalized that people know them and and use them without being scared of being called crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. But I feel that 
there's people who have kind of took on that toll of like I have depression instead of like I get depressed. Mm-hmm. Like so I have a, a, a I, I argue with people with that who are like oh I had depression. I'm like do you have depression or do you get depressed at certain points? Because that's just life. That's just being a, a human being is you get depressed in certain moments whether life is high or life is low. Like, but that's what you need in life. You need high moments. You need low moments. To understand that you are a human being in, in your living. But do you feel like that term just gets thrown around a lot or people actually you're just seeing they actually have depression. Now, there, there are people that legitimately have depression. Of course, yeah. But yeah. there's also people that get depressed too like it's be the the waters are getting muddied with that because Mm -hmm. you have people that you i've I've dealt with people that are you know now in their 20s and have been depressed since they were 12 years old so now at this point they say i have depression because it's so baked in yeah and then you have the other people that get depressed like i we so in diagnosing it turns, it's like we adjust, we we diagnose people with adjustment disorders with like mixed moods. So adjustment disorder with depressed mood or adjustment disorder with uh, anxious mood. That means that what you are currently going through in life, whatever season in season in life that you're currently in, that is causing you to be depressed for this time period. Mm. It might be as the result of like the job you're working. Yeah. It might be the result of the relationship that you're in. But it's for a time period, and you need somebody mm-hmm. to help you through that time period. Mm-hmm. You have the other people that the depression came can, could have stemmed from abuse that you encountered at the age of five years old mm-hmm. that is now, like, set in. And then people that have literal chemical imbalances to where they're not producing enough serotonin mm-hmm. in their in their brain, and now they have this constant feeling of being depressed and it needs to be medicated and we need and need supplements and things like that to help get their levels to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. So you have both ends of it, but the problem is, is that people don't know how to identify which section they're in. Are yeah. they in the I'm depressed uh, or okay. I'm a depressed person? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. Like I, I definitely know that I have my depressed moments. Like there's definitely moments and times in which it goes up and down. Like, you know, it, but I could definitely, now that I'm so self-aware, I can see it almost coming. I could be like, is this a moment in which, like, like for me, it was the holiday season. It's like, is this a moment in which, if I didn't think about it, and just like, I just got to that day, and it would have hit me like a train. Like, I would have been, I would have definitely been sleeping. I would have definitely been feeling depressed. I didn't want to do anything. But I knew, okay, this is a possibility in which, in other times, it has made me depressed. Get ahead of it. Like, get ahead of it. Start thinking, men- become mentally stronger. Put yourself in a moment in which... Like you can beat it almost. Like for me, it becomes that. Like I can beat this thing. I can. I can feel better in that sense. I always said when I created this podcast, I would never talk about relationships. I would never because I. I hate what we see in today's time on social media of like, just the wrong guy and girl that have a podcast mic and camera getting in front of people and speaking about you know the relationships, but they talk about it as a you know as as a whole instead of just individualizing it as th- this is my this is my relationship. This is what I go through. This is what we do. Um, and it, it just creates so much tension and just it's it's to me it's bad for social media. It's bad for humanity because it brings in so much of like trouble into other people's relationships as well. Now the younger generations are idolizing these people like, you know, you had the red pill, blue pill, you had the way to treat women and certain things. It's like that's not reality, man. Like that's not what you see is not reality behind the scenes. But I would say within getting a therapy that it was coming out of my my relationship that I was with someone for eight years and it was like what the fuck do I do now? Like, what am I, how do I keep moving um, um, after this? But in relationships today, based off of social media and stuff like that, what are the biggest issues you're starting to see people just 
fall out and they're just not being able to make it in today's times. In terms of relationships? Relationships, yeah. Expectations. Um, social media has, has like had the, the greatest impact on oh, it. Oh, that's true. I mean, you see, and what you said about red pill, blue pill, all that stuff is so true. You You have, you're watching these people online talk about what it means to be a man what a real man in a relationship looks like that you know you got to be wealthy powerful Mm -hmm. and respected in order to get a woman and keep a woman and the woman that you are with needs to be submissive she needs to you know she needs to know that that you can leave at any point in time and so you you go into relationships with that way of thinking thinking that you're going to have a happy relationship and the same thing for women they're being told that you need to be treated like queens. You need to be uh, co-equal and like, you know, you're both bosses, you're power couples. And if he doesn't really, you know, respect the, the power that you have and listen to you, then he's not right for you. He's not a real man. All these different ideologies are clashing with each other. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows now, like your relationship is a very individual, individual, personal thing. Sure. It needs to be formatted in a way that's based on your personality and her personality. Mm-hmm. And then you come together and you live life together. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. Relationships are just ideals clashing. Yeah, yeah. And it, it does become the sense of like those expectations put a lot onto a relationship, man. Like, because no matter what, like let's just say you have an expectation, you never outwardly say, This is my expectation of you. When someone doesn't meet that expectation now, now you feel have a way. Now you're like, oh, you're not worth it to me. But you never have even it's bad to even put expectations on people, but to not even say it out loud is another thing that we're dealing with, right? And I feel that social media has allowed people to get in a sense of, like, I always say, like, live within your means. Like, let's be realistic here. Like, looks-wise, as well as, like, you as a person, as well as put positive like, – like, like to me, I could just be like, I want a 5'10 model with a big ass. That are like, it's just I'm putting these – outlandish expectations out there for a woman and i would say for me a woman out there and i may miss what is a possibility of someone to come across because i've had this expectation of this is the woman i need it's the woman i want and i'm not going to take nothing less for it i don't mind you having um what is that called criterias i don't mind you having criterias but putting these expectations out there on your relationship when you're already in the relationship but as well as expectations of like no this man has to do this 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 and and the third but it's funny when um we were talking about like now me being outside again, it's just like it sucks. Like I, I hate being out. Like I, I don't wish it on anyone to be single in today's times. It sucks. And I found that like there's no winning for a man. Like you can't win in today's times and you just have to find the right woman that can allow you to win within your relationship because something as small as like before it was like okay for a man to go open your door and buy you flowers. Now you do that. You buy flowers, you open the door, you're sweet, you're kind. You're met with two things. You're met with you're just love bombing me right now and and you have to ride on that discourse or you're a simp like you're simping you're buying me flowers oh hell no you'll be in the group chat in a second let's take a picture of you and be like yo he bought me flowers what's up with this man it's like nah yo he's actually a good guy but social media has taught you that like this is a simp like so how do we as men what should we be doing in today's times to be like the best man as well as the best man in a relationship as well what expectations i'm not even let me start from from here what person or what woman are you with that allows you to just be you and by that I mean 
you're right about getting into these relationships and having these expectations. We have these expectations of women and it needs to look this way. She needs to act this way. But then when we get that, what those, what do those expectations do to us? Like I, I, um, you know, earlier in life, I, I found this beautiful woman and I, like I was all about her and she, she just seemed to have it all. I created these expectations based on her behavior towards me that, all right, I needed to always make sure I had money. Um, I needed to be really tough because guys are always looking at her. So I need to show that I'm aggressive and and ready to fight at all times. Um, Like I would, I would just do is the very different definition of simping. Yeah. And I realized the more that I would try to be myself, the more, I felt detached from her and like she, she just wasn't feeling it. So I started molding myself into the image that I believe that she wanted. Mm. It wasn't until I noticed that this relationship is killing me Mm -hmm. that I started to pull back and started to become the person that I was supposed to be care about the things that I wanted to care about. And the more that I got detached from her and stronger in myself, the more she started to try to get reattached to me because she started seeing me in a different light, almost like now seeing me as a man. Mm. And by the time I got to the point where I was like, I know what I want, I knew it wasn't her. Mm. So I was able to move off of that and then find the woman that allows me to still be me, allows me to care about opening a door for her without Mm. judgment. Being without judgment is just a man. That's what do you mean by that? Like she doesn't she doesn't look at it as she doesn't have definitions for what it means to be a man. I don't have to fall into that. If I open a door for her, it's because I'm a courteous type of person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If I if I don't fill her car up with gas, it doesn't it doesn't mean it doesn't make you a man or not to fill up a car with gas because. I gave you a debit card. Mm -hmm. So if you need gas, go to the gas station and fill it up yourself. Like there's no, there's no expectations or requirements of this is what it looks like to be a man or Mm -hmm. a woman. You just exist based off of your personalities. There's nothing I can, I I hate more is than when a woman starts to say, this is what a man should be because it's like, how could you tell me what a man should be? Now you could say what I believe a, a good man should be to me because of what I want. But to be like, this is what a man is. This is what a man is. Like I would, I would say in the past where I got that like, I wasn't a, a manly man. Like I don't do things with my hands. Like I went to school for a reason. Like I want to make enough money to where I could pay someone else to do that work. Like does that make him more of a man than me? And should I have to deal with you saying those words to me of like, oh, you know, you know, you can't do nothing. You can't fix nothing in the house. It's like, fuck you, bro. Like where's she getting that from? Yeah, she is. Is that who her dad was mm-hmm. or was that missing in her life? And she started throughout her life. She started determining the things that she was missing is the things that every man should now have. Like mm-hmm. so it, it could be coming from the most faulty place in the world. Yeah. That's why you should never listen to it. Yeah. And I think the same goes vice versa. Like I should never tell a woman how to be a woman. Mm-hmm. I should, in, in my eyes, like I can say like, you know, I want my woman to be respectful when she's out in public. I have no problem with that. But I can't tell you how to be a woman. I can't tell you as a woman how to raise a child. Like I can only say like what's good as a as a human being, this is good and this is bad. Be a good person. But as a woman, you know womanhood. You know what's best between you your your your, your community to do best for women. But I just feel like to like as a man, like you just can't win. And no aspect can you win today. Like I mean I get you get you get called um uh of course in my family you always will have like me being a light skinned guy with long hair and like something like that, which is like, you're gay, bro. The stuff you do is gay, right? But then there's, 
you deal with that as well of like like you're sus or like it's an ick like you deal with that a lot of like yo you smoke hookah that's an ick that's sus that you smoke hookah. that's that's gay that's fruity as hell or like certain things you do you're like what can i do as a man just to be myself and i think that we've kind of put ourselves into categories to fit the mold of what we think that woman needs from us mm. instead of just like you said being true to ourselves of like if you like me for me I, I appreciate that let's let's figure this thing out but if you don't like me for me then we can't do this because i'm not going to fit the mold you need and, and what you think a man should be so i think that relationships in today's times are in, in such trouble um but the 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 word of the year i would say is narcissism you're a narcissist they don't even know what the heck the, the word means. No one knows. In my opinion, I didn't know what it meant until you came in uh, and did a speaking uh, at the school as well of, like, he's a narcissist or they're a narcissist. So you, I know you said that there's there's like, there's like a list and then I feel like you're five or whatever of these of these nine. So can you break down what an actual narcissist is? Yeah, so everybody's using the term narcissist. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they're using it now if somebody, if they feel like somebody's arrogant and they feel like somebody is gaslighting them. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's when, you know, common people say that, say they come across a person as a narcissist. In reality, there is a set of nine different points of a person, that, uh, nine different personality traits that makes a person uh, qualified to have narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. which is a lack of empathy, uh, grandiosity, which is this belief that they are, more than who they really are believing that they're greater than who they really are um being envious of others and believing that others are envious of them arrogance is also or haughty we call it haughty behaviors that's another part of it um is interpersonally manipulative so everything that they do is for their own gain even even when they seem like they're doing something nice for you if it always boils down to how it actually benefits them that's being like interpersonally manipulative Mm -hmm. so you have those different traits and there's you know a total of nine of them if you have five of those traits on a continual basis and what i mean is continue like is this these are the things that's baked into your personality you're constantly like this Mm -hmm. then you can start to be looked at you can fall under that under that criteria of being a, a legitimate narcissist. Mm-hmm. Most people fit two or three of those traits at any given time. That doesn't make you a narcissist. That just means you got some personality mm-hmm. issues you need to deal with. But because we don't know the true scope, uh, if you people that have dealt with narcissists before or people with narcissistic personality disorder they know when they come across another narcissist it is very very much defined mm-hmm. most people have not so uh, if you got you know five different criteria points and the person is consistently like this and the tools that that narcissist uses is the gaslighting and the love bombing meaning they when you first meet them they make you feel like you're just you're the only person in their life. You're the best person in the world. You're put on a pedestal. And then you start to notice that you try to remain, you try to keep that perspective that they have of you, of being on this, you know, this high pedestal. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when they say that you disappointed them or, or they're starting to look at you different, you get panicked and you're like, Oh no, they don't love me the same anymore. And you start, you know, acting a certain way because Mm -hmm. of that, trying to keep their love then that's a good indication that 
you've been love bombed because yeah. now you're trying to keep this unrealistic expectation of what it means to you know be a partner with them. And then the gaslighting is like all the different things. I hate things. that so much. I hate that word too. Like you're yeah. gaslighting me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now if somebody is ca- is always causing you to question the reality that you're in, yeah, that's gaslighting. But if they're using it to fit their own particular narrative at this moment, that might not necessarily be gaslighting. Gaslighting is incredibly powerful for those people that mm-hmm. have encountered it because it makes you question the foundations of who you are as a like you person. said like your your reality like it, for a lot of people out there simply put is like when you're in a relationship or anything you may be like i know i'm not crazy you're yeah. always saying to yourself i know i'm not bugging i know i'm not crazy but you're always wrong mm-hmm. and you're like i'm living in this world like there's no way i'm i'm wrong or i'm crazy every single time and now you're asking everybody you're calling everybody and you're running the <laughs> scenario by them like yo i'm not bugging am i like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's what starts to happen yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's how you know you've been really gaslit yeah yeah so is it possible that a person may have not been a narcissist before a relationship, but they get into a relationship now, and they're kind of they become one. Like, is is, is that something that you see sometimes? That like in a relationship they become a narcissist, and they're able to break away from it, or they just now have become a narcissist and they carry that throughout their day to day, and they carry that within no every relationship that they may move on to. I think most people become narcissists based off their family system. So, okay. uh, it really comes from being raised in dysfunctional family systems. Mm-hmm. So alcoholic father you know abusive um you know traumatized mother things like that being raised in dysfunctional families really breeds personality disorders when you what you see with people that you may not have thought that they were a narcissist when they were in a relationship but later on down the line you feel like they become them a lot of times they've become uh, victims of narcissistic abuse meaning like because of this relationship, if they were in a relationship with a narcissist, what they've encountered, people with narcissistic abuse tend to look like narcissists because they've learned to emulate certain behaviors mm. to get what they want. So they learn to emulate the manipulation so that way they can feel loved again. They they start to take on the negative characteristics to help them cope with everything that they've been mm. through. So if you have a person that was completely normal when they first started a relationship and later on down the line like now they're really manipulative and things like that that's a good sign that they were in a really bad relationship Mm. and it's caused them to skew the way that they you know approach life and their perspective on things yeah so how can i how as i'm not just saying as as me but as a person that gets out of that relationship that narcissism relationship with, with with that that opposite person again we're not just saying a male or female, we're just saying, like, as a whole, I get out of that relationship. What is best for me now going forward? If, if I'm a survivor of being with someone who's who's a, who's a narcissist, what is best going forward now? Do I take it slow? Do I not look to jump in a relationship? Do I kind of deal with discovering the wrongs and faults of that person I was in a relationship? Like, how do I move forward now? I, I think you should take it slow and not examine the, the, the faults of the other person. Examine how you live now the way you think about things the way you approach relationships what what are you doing now that is the result of you being in this past negative relationship Mm -hmm. what are some of the negative traits that you've picked up and then how do i avoid or correct these negative thoughts that i've had and these these negative traits that i developed how do i deal with them so that way when i'm getting into the next relationship 
I'm not creating expectations based on the hurt that I just encountered from the last person Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to shape this person in a way that it's like, I want to make sure she or he is not going to hurt me. So in order to do that, I got to make sure that they always know, like, I'm going to leave at any point in time. Mm -hmm. Like we start to develop these different, you know, Uh, rules and norms and stuff like that to make sure that we don't get hurt again, not realizing those things that we're creating are really different forms of manipulation. Yeah. So, yeah. Take it slow. Yeah. yeah. So when in in today, I mean, I mean, forever, you've always heard that relationships are work. They're a job. They're hard. They're going to be hard. You have to work through it. But at what point do you say this is too hard? I'm walking away from this. Like, I think that you hear people talk about, like, let's go, let's go to therapy. I mean, you're seeing boyfriend and girlfriends going to therapy, and they were only together for a couple of years now. You're starting to see that trend happening. So when is that at a certain point in which the biggest advice you've given me is is, is it's not work. It shouldn't be hard. It, you know, it's going to have its moments, but it shouldn't just be hard for a long period of time. So how do you know, you know what, this relationship just isn't it. I need to leave. Yeah, I, I completely reject the, the idea that, relationships or marriage is supposed to be constant work and it's supposed to be constantly hard like you when the two of you come together you become one Mm -hmm. like if it's not easy to like if you're not progressing with each other in for a certain purpose in life why in the world are 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 you married Mm -hmm. like if you just got warring ideals then yeah that's going to be a problem but if you are on the same page and headed towards the same goal they're really there's not really much to get into it about yeah i think if you are in a relationship and out of seven days in a week four days you are going at it or have some type of disagreement then there's some foundational problems inside of your relationship the way that is the way you constructed the relationship the values that you have knowing what each like you do need to know each other's roles mm-hmm. and what those roles look like. You need to know what loving each other looks like. So a, a big thing now is the love languages, but those things are actually kind of important because yeah. you know, if you know you're the type of person that like needs to be affirmed or praised at different times in order for you to, to kind of keep going, then mm-hmm. your partner needs to know that because yeah. she knows she's going to need to, you know, be there, be that support to you. That's, you know, encouraging you at different times and vice versa. If, if she's the type of person that she feels most love when like she receives this little gift, that's like, I've been thinking about you, then you got to incorporate that into how you approach the relationship. Mm-hmm. So those things, those are easy. Those are easy things when you really yeah. think about it. If, but if you're arguing four days out of the week and mm-hmm. like, it's just like, you don't, you two don't feel close to each other until after you've had a big blow up and now you've had the makeup sex and, mm-hmm. and like that for those next three days, like everything is on cloud nine. That's a huge indicator that yeah. something's fundamentally wrong in your relationship. Man, that's, yeah, that's a reality. <laughs> that is that that is, that is definitely a reality for for those out there because you get told from generations and generations prior, like your grandparents, your mom, your your if you if you were blessed to have a mom and dad in the same household, of like it's going to be hard. And one thing that's, that's pretty cool that I'm starting to see now is that like I see our parents, like when I talk to my friends that have like that grew up in a two parent household, and I'm like, Yo, did you ever see your parents argue? They're like maybe once or twice. And I was like, wow, like, I love hearing that there's more people out there that, like, they grew up in a household in which they never saw their parents either fight. So it is a possibility of, like, there are more people out there who have definitely seen a great 
household and, and don't have that trauma of, of growing up in that. But how much is of your childhood traumas at fault into which, if it's never addressed, come up still in your adulthood life? Oh, I mean, that that's as close to 100% of a, a problem as there is. Like, really? the things we go through in childhood shape the way that we think and the way that we feel, the way that we behave. So, you know, the, the different things we go through in life, now, you know, you go through something when you're five years old. When you're 25 years old, if you had never addressed those things that were going on and they've now had time to take root and shape the way you think and act, when you're 25, you're going to be pretty messed up. Yeah. Like It's very hard to like because then you got to dig through it and find where did these problems start? Where was the origin? It's hard to do that when you're mm-hmm. 25 trying to you know cycle all the way back to when I was five years old. Yeah. If this person was five years old and, you know, they had counseling, they're addressing what's going on at that time yeah. period to be able to reshape them in a more healthy way. Like, no matter if you want to call it trauma or not, and trauma is the definition of a trauma is just a, a deeply distressing feeling or event. Okay. That's that's what trauma is. Everybody's had a trauma. Yeah. So if you are going through... Yeah, if you're going through life and you've had a uh, dysfunctional family and, you know, you've had problems with mom and dad, it's going to shape the way you think, feel and act. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's going to carry over into your relationships and into your, your marriages and things like that. All of us have those things. The The main thing with all of us is making a daily practice of looking at ourselves in the mirror and examining ourselves to find where are the areas that I have negative thinking or where are the areas that I'm struggling with and working on ourselves? If we make that like a daily practice, Mm -hmm. that makes all of our relationships so much easier because we're not focusing on what somebody else is doing and what they, we we feel that they need to be doing or our expectations of them. We're no, we're like turning inward. Like, no, how can I be better? How can I fix this negative way of thinking? And it just makes all of your subsequent yeah. relationships so much simpler. But so I was, I'm, I'm trying not to speak from, from personal experience, mm-hmm. but let's just say for, for me, for instance, like the relationship I had with my mom was amazing. Um, and then we had our, like our disagreements. And I found that like where I was at fault was looking to deal with how that affected me. And the worst thing for a parent is when they get the report card in which they get their kid gives them the report card. They're like, no, you fucked up here, 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 here. Because the parents want to hear that. They want to see that, they, no, I did everything for you. I was perfect. So you deal with that, and you kind of have now, like, a parent who may not be as open to those things. Now you're creating more issues. How do you now deal with that of, like, I'm dealing with my childhood traumas, but I can't go to my parents and address them with those, even though they may still feel that way of, like, still may act that certain way, but you have to now be mentally stronger to, like, all right, now I know how to not how have the way they act affect me so much. But it's so hard to do that of like I'm addressing my childhood traumas and the reason for my childhood traumas may be my parents, but I can't fix those issues with my parents. So now I just have to internalize, deal with that of like no matter what they're gonna be who they are, I have to love them as my parents, but now I just have to move forward with it. Yeah, that I mean that's that's really powerful. That's really difficult to do. Once you when when you deal with a parent and you're dealing with that kind of childhood trauma that revolves around something that a a parent did. Yeah. Once you start working on it, when you grow up, part of the inclination is to. All right. Now, let me go back and have a conversation with my parent about what they did. 
and they <laughs> may or may not want to hear anything that yeah. you're going to talk about because they might be looking at it like, well, you, you know, you grew up, you're alive. Like I did my job. Facts. And so you're not, a lot of times you're not going to get them to think back on, and that's with anybody. It's hard to get somebody true. to think back on Very ways true. that they messed up yeah. because there's nothing that they can do to correct it at this point. Mm-hmm. So part of it is, again the work on yourself how do i forgive them for that what does it my relationship with them look like going forward that is healthy that's not putting the expectation on them to correct everything that they did wrong in the past and how do i make sure that i don't keep the residual effects of like the way I felt about them or the way that I felt about mm. that event. How do I make sure that I don't put that on my kids? How do I make sure that it's not creeping up in my relationships? Wow, yeah. And that's why that daily self-examination is critical. Yeah. Cause now you're just, you're just doing generational trauma. If you're never addressing, you're just passing this shit down to you. And that's kind of what happens is it just gets, it gets passed down again. I'm not speaking personal here. So, yeah. but even it falls down to this, even some of the simple things like, like, for instance, I didn't not saying myself, but like I didn't have a, a father present. My dad, you know, my dad was only there when, you know, something something good was happening or like a birthday. He just sent me a card and had mm-hmm. some money. So as a result, I grow up with that resentment. And I'm like, when I become a dad, I'm going to be at all of my kids events. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that I do everything with them. And while, yeah, that sounds good. You're now basing your life on something that you didn't have growing up and that may not be what your child needs because what if you become now a helicopter parent that's trying to direct every aspect of your child's life and now they don't have the ability to kind of develop their own sense of self and like how they want to navigate in the world because you're busy telling them you need to do this this this, and this and you're hovering over them so why we need to really come to the realization that like a lot of the ways that we're approaching relationships and kids and life is based on what we didn't have and what we yeah. felt like we needed and yeah. what we want. And you know, that's not necessarily right. Yeah. That's a good point. And then I would even say like, it's funny. Like just look at the, look at myself is that like with my parents, I was able to be like, you know what? I don't need to hold them accountable for certain things. I understand that that's what happened. It is what it is. I can move forward. But when I move into like my personal relationships moving forward, I found that like I'm like, no, I needed you to I need you to understand and be accountable for these things. Instead of just being able to just move forward. If I if I think if I go with them with that perspective, like how I went with my parents and then going forward within like any personal relationships or anything that might go forward, it, it's a huge difference. It, it it is. You look at you look at it very, very differently. Um so then if 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 now I'm looking and and, and I I have friends and people out there who may be dealing with like I think people think of like when I, do I, don't, I don't need to go to therapy because I don't have nothing huge, grandiose going on that I need to like engage in the therapy. How, what are signs or what are some things that I should be able to like if, if, if I'm looking internally, do I need therapy? If I'm questioning, do I need therapy? Like I really don't have nothing going on, but maybe it could help in certain aspects. Is, is, could therapy just help everyone? Even if it's once every three months you go. Yeah, therapy is for everyone. Like th- we get, we're getting thrown off by the word therapy because it's like automatically thinking like there's a problem there some people come to therapy some people come to my office and they are 
completely fine. Mm -hmm. But coming to therapy gives them the chance to kind of offload some of the things that like they've gone through in life, whether it's traumatic or whether it's just something that happened during the week that they want to talk about. Like therapists are literally there to walk alongside you inside of like walk alongside you in your life. Really, mm -hmm. it, they their function is to what uh, in religious terms, the church was supposed to be We we were as a people. We were supposed to go through life like sharing our burdens one to another and walking through life together to make it easier for us to navigate life. That is the that's the entire purpose of a therapist yeah. now. And so when you think about who needs it, the people that are really sick and struggling and mentally ill need it. The people that just want to make it through life and navigate things in a healthy way, they also need it it's yeah. because it's beneficial. It's, yeah. You can really look at it as like having a partner to, to go through life with. Yeah, yeah. We're coming up on the end here, but one question I always have for, for a therapist is like, who is a therapist therapy? Like, who do they go to uh, for therapy? How are you able to, like, disconnect when you're, when you deal with, like, you know everyone that's, like, that's going on. Like, I, like you couldn't be like, oh, how's this person? How's this person? Like, you know the names. You know, you remember, you remember situations, stuff like that. How do you f still stay mentally sane when dealing with all that? So, therapists should always have a therapist or, okay. like, a supervisor because there's, you all, it's, it's good to have a, a another set of eyes looking at kind of the things that you're dealing with and how you're approaching somebody else to make sure that none of your stuff is getting into it. Mm -hmm. But the, the main thing for therapists to stay sane and to stay okay is that biopsychosocial spiritual is what they're eating, their daily regimen in terms of like, if they wake up and pray, if they wake up and work out, um, their social, you know, the, how they are socially, who are their friends in their life, are their friends encouraging? Mm -hmm. All of those, the, it's, it's the holistic things. Because yeah. when you are carrying so many other people's burdens, if you are managing that by drinking yourself to sleep every night, yeah. or like when you get done a session, you I got to smoke because that's what helps me deal. Like those are the negative ways of dealing with things. Mm -hmm. And eventually it catches up with you. So you need all of those healthy coping mechanisms a sense of discipline the, the, the right family and friends in place like working out mm -hmm. you need those things constantly in order to keep yourself sane yeah so one last thing that you brought up was vices i always say that every man should have a vice which is like women as well like every person should have a vice when does a vice become bad when you say a vice what do you mean so like i'm someone that like i don't drink i don't smoke my vices i would definitely see at the gym as well as I smoke hookah like that. If you want to okay. say like what one of my bad vices are, it's definitely smoking hookah, right? Mm -hmm. So like I think that if it's a good vice, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like let's say a vice for someone is like they only drink on the weekends. Like what are like is it okay for people to have vices? I think in order or I feel like everyone just off themselves if they didn't have a vice in my in my opinion. Uh, so everyone is always going to have a vice or something that they're inclined to do that's not good. Yeah. So for those things, for the things that are not good you know that's going to be something that you have to consistently work at and try to defeat. That's without a doubt. Yeah. Good vices, I, would, I wouldn't I would probably call them a vice. I would call them like coping mechanisms because that's okay. what it, essentially it is. Okay. Everybody should have those because the good ones, like the exercises and the eating rights and you know prayer and things like that, okay. those are things that help you combat 
the bad vices yeah. and help you combat all the other things that you're going through you're in right. life. You're so, right. I mean, those, to me, that's of primary importance. Importance, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, what are some some last key takeaways you want to provide the audience with when it comes to therapy or mental health, whatever it may be, to relieve them off of, like, the new journey they should be taking? Especially, it's going to be a new year, so so really underway, go underway those things. Yeah, the, we're, we're living in a society, we're living in a world now where it's getting darker and darker. And we are realizing that we can't, navigate life alone we can't do that anymore like it's it's not possible we need somebody that's in our corner we need somebody that's encouraging us we need somebody that helps us examine the way that we think about things Mm -hmm. that's the purpose of a therapist find a good therapist somebody that aligns with your belief system and your values and hold on to them maybe it's not a therapist maybe it's maybe it is a really good friend that has a sound mind that is you, you know that carries a piece with them that is really encouraging if they are a great source of strength for mm-hmm. you then lean on them too but mm-hmm. don't dis- don't discount a therapist just because you think it's something that deals with mental illness because mm-hmm. that is not the case so just find somebody that you can walk alongside of in life and hold on to them Wow, yeah, and that's that's harder than said than, than it is it's very difficult for sure. Um, at this point, are you still taking any new like clientele or, or anything like that? People to go to reach out. Yeah, it's limited, but okay. so I, I would say anybody that want to reach out, reach out sooner rather than later because yeah. I do get to a point where I fill up and I know that it'll become too much. You can't mm-hmm. try to help too many people at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So, you know, if you're somebody that really feel like you need it, then definitely reach out to me and um, you know, we'll see what we can do. I would definitely have his um his website in the bot in the link in the, in the in the description as well and at the bottom of the screen here. Mr. Harry Nelson, I thank you for opening the space and I thank you for helping me along this journey um as well and assisting in every which way possible with being uh coming to the school as well, helping students and then helping me during this journey, because I don't, I, if you would have told me what last year would look like this year, I would have never said that they, I would be in this position. But with your help and support, it's definitely got me a long way. And I'm blessed to have had great people come along the way and, and put me in these positions as well as yourself. So I thank you. I thank you again for coming on the podcast. Um, guys, please make sure you go out, subscribe to the YouTube channel and those we trust. Please listen to us on SoundCloud, Apple Music, Spotify um amazon uh podcast as well we're everywhere please hit that subscribe button i appreciate you guys trust up thank you again thanks for having me